Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Don't Google yourself. Meemaw told me that years ago. I'm telling you that now. Don't Google yourself. But if you have a staff, it's okay to have them Google your name every now and then. Producer Jesse did. He found some things out on the internet about me. We're going to talk about it tonight. But not before we talk about like 37 other things because we're jam-packed. We're high atop a congested downtown Nashville, Tennessee. For it is Thursday night, July 13th, the year of our Lord, 2023. We could do a two and a half hour show tonight. Of that, I have no doubt. Bold predictions and what ifs. Of course, you know they're baked into the show. But we've got what I thought was one of our own out here trying to gatekeep and keep three quarters of us out of college football fandom. Don't think that was going to go below my radar. Brent Venables, we got all sorts of opinions to talk about with him. They had Big 12 Media Days the past couple of days out in Dallas, Arlington, for those more familiar with the area. Uh, several noteworthy items there. I I assume most of you didn't make it appointment viewing to just tune in and catch every second. That's okay, because I made Bradley watch all of it, and he had some odds and ends, and we've aggregated it all. Dave Aranda, as he usually is, just brutally, bluntly honest about himself. He never talks about anyone else. He just talks bad about himself. Georgia versus the AJC has evolved, hasn't it? Since the last time you and I spoke, oh, it's evolved. Uh, you know what? I'll save that. Some people have accused me of being condescending lately, so I'm not going to do that. I I am not going to stretch this arm all the way across this shoulder and pat myself on the back because that would be condescending. And that's not the kind of show we do here. They're watching us in Oglethorpe, Georgia. A lot of CSX activity I hear in Oglethorpe. They're watching us in Phoenix, Arizona, Delray Beach, Florida, Big Spring, Texas. Thank you so, so, so much. A lot of success on the show. I tweeted out earlier today, and I will tell you again, the Pate State store is going to open in August. Some of you care about that, some of you don't, but it's going to look a lot different than it did last year. That is one of the key reasons I shut it down, and we're relaunching it, and I'm just saying, uh, there's some designs in there I love, and I think you will too, mainly because you asked for them, so I'm not delivering anything you haven't asked for. However, seamless transition here, 
I've, uh, I've got too many papers in front of me because unfortunately, Colin, here's your end point. Three, two, one. Very unfortunately, I have to paper pop something in front of me that I never wanted to have to read. There are some folks out there who we love. There's some folks out there that we don't love quite as much. Hatred has no place on this show, of course, but there are some folks that you think are sort of in it. They're in the foxhole with you when it comes to college football fandom, when it comes to the way we view this sport, right? You and I, to a 99th percentile, usually agree on the core things. We may not agree on the playoff. We may not agree on NIL. But those are ornaments. The tree, we all have the same tree. Or at least I thought we did. So I'm perusing Twitter the other day. Unfortunately, I think it was like Monday or Tuesday. So we didn't have another show live coming up for a couple of days. But our buddy over there at Barstool, not Brandon Walker. Notice I said buddy. Uh, our buddy, Captain Cons. I've never, I've never spoken ill of him. I have never seen reason to take umbrage with him on this show because, I mean, nine times out of ten, the guy is pretty much singing from the same songbook that we do, which makes it all the more disappointing that I hold this piece of paper in my hand, which features an article written by him, and you want to know what the genesis of this is? The genesis is he's talking about the worst fans in college football. You know where this is going or at least I think you do, you've heard what he said a million times. It's just that you've normally heard it from casuals. I I think it's very important to hit the pause button here, and it's very important to remember the words of Meemaw. Smart people can say casual things. Casual people rarely say smart things. And our buddy, Captain Cons, a casual he is not, but casuality absolutely came out of his mouth. Allow me to start with this. The worst fan base is anyone who roots hard for a college they have zero connection to in any substantial way. This is that old, if you didn't go there, you shouldn't be rooting quite as hard as alumni did because they have a special connection. Of that, I don't disagree. That's an obvious point. If you went to the University of Tennessee, and I grew up over in East Memphis, and I've never even been to Knoxville, but I just buy the t-shirts at my favorite apparel store, yes, You've got a different connection to the University of Tennessee than I do. However, he couldn't stop there, could he? Mm Mm-mm, couldn't stop there. He used words like illegitimate. Gross. Like, how often do we ever even say that word on this show, much less when it's attributed to fans? So I was just thinking to myself, uh, let's, let's, you know, what we need to do, we probably need to call up our buddy the alien. And our buddy the alien comes down here whenever we need him. He is usually an arbiter on situations like these, and he comes down and we say, alien, welcome back, and he, and we say to him, buddy, we got a problem. Uh, We have things called colleges, institutions of higher learning, and some of us go and some of us don't, and we got our buddy Captain Cons over here saying that that college football team up there at Louisville, if you didn't go to the University of, you really aren't that legitimate a Louisville fan, and the alien then turns on a Louisville game. Or here's an even better one. If we're going for pure spectacle here, let's take our buddy, the alien, and say, flip it over to CBS. He flips it over to CBS, and it's Death Valley. It's LSU. It's Saturday night. And and those eyes, and I don't know if you've ever seen an alien, but they're already pretty big. Those eyes get even bigger. And it's 101,000, and it's a decibel level that you could not imagine, frankly, unless you've witnessed it. And I've been field level there multiple times. And it's aside from Mississippi State for different reasons, 
it's the closest I've ever come to sort of looking around and asking, anyone got earplugs? Oh, it made me feel so soft. But I also wanted to hear the next day. So our buddy, the alien, he watches an LSU game Saturday night, Death Valley. And he's amazed. And you're amazed. And I'm amazed. And if he's honest with himself, the author of this piece is amazed. It's not 100,001 business majors in there, man. So you either admire the spectacle of the sport or you don't. You either view that as legitimate or you don't. They don't build those cathedrals merely for alumni. Now, those alumni may have some special seating privileges that the rest of us don't have. But you got to forgive my buddy Leroy in Arcadia Parish down there if he didn't want to rack up 65K in student loan debt and instead went into the family business and half the folks who graduated from there may call him boss one day. His legitimacy is confirmed as far as I'm concerned and as far as the powers that be at LSU are concerned. He didn't stop there. Allow me to continue. This kind of gets me more fired up the more I talk about it. People with legit rooting interests aren't the ones who get mad at me for this. The ones chirping back at me are being sensitive because they know their fandom is based on some absurd reasoning. Well, here's all the reasoning you need to root for Pate State. This is America. I can do whatever the blank I want to do. But if you want to get a little deeper than that, if you want to be a little more tactful about it, allow me to ask, what is legitimate rooting interest? Now, according to the criteria not listed but suggested in this piece, it is you either went to the school or you got immediate family that went to the school, and that's the long and short of it. Maybe you work there. I don't know. Obviously, I'm a little bit looser on my criteria than he, uh, but if If that's legitimate rooting interest, then I assume everything else is illegitimate rooting interest. See previous statement for what I think about that. Here's my uh, take on this. I've heard this argument. It's as old as time. I went to Harris County High School in Harris County, Georgia. I did not go to the University of Georgia. And I used to hear people all the time who were, uh, a lot of them were trust fund kids. Some of them were just geniuses and they had already been offered scholarships by their senior year at Harris County. But some of them knew they were going to Georgia. Some of them knew they weren't going to Georgia. And the ones who knew they were going to Georgia or had Georgia blood in their family, they would speak in a condescending manner sometimes to the folks who were going to go to Dalton State or even Georgia State or Albany State or Columbus State. And I remember even back then thinking, this is kind of stupid because they weren't talking about allegiance to the school. No one's going and hanging out on the quad on Tuesday afternoons saying, look at me, man. I'm Texas through and through. No one's hanging out in the student rec center at Kentucky, but they are going to Kentucky's football stadium on Saturday. They are wearing the blue. They are cheering for the Wildcats, and they do view themselves the same way you view yourself in that particular moment. The reason that that's legitimate, the reason their legitimacy as a fan checks out every bit as much as someone who double majored in a track I don't even know about up there is Unlike the university experience, unlike the academic experience, the college football team transcends just being an appendage to the university. The college football team is more an idea than just a thing that exists there on campus. And it's an idea that's reflective of a geographical culture, of a region of people who may disagree on some things here and there, but largely they share some commonality. And if you're in the LA that stands for Louisiana, The things you share may be starkly different than the L.A. out there in Los Angeles, California, but that's the beauty of it. It's not a bunch of it's not a country of 330 some odd million robots. 
They're different places, different cultures, and that football program that exists in Baton Rouge or Tuscaloosa or Columbus or Ann Arbor or Lincoln, it's kind of a representation of that, and people gravitate towards it. Not because they went there, but because it represents something a whole lot more than just a stadium that happens to be parked on campus there. He continues, P.S. I honestly, you want to hear condescending now, listen to this. P.S. I honestly don't care who you root for, especially you, Chief. Just know that folks look at you a little sideways. P.P.S. People who defend themselves as ardently as Chief know full well how ridiculous they sound, but they can't admit that out loud. Let me just say this to all of you. All of you who have been labeled illegitimate. All of you who have been cast away. All of you who are, shall we say, um, academically downtrodden. Chief, pretty much anyone out there that's been labeled by our buddy here, you're welcome into our fold on this show. You're welcome at Pate State. And I also want to say this. I will speak for the fundraising branches of every major university in America. They will take your dollars. They will take your season ticket applications. They will take your merchandising purchases every bit as quick as they'll take someone who's kid and grandkid and great-grandkid is going to go to the University of Minnesota. I don't even have to call them up to make sure I can confirm that for them. So I saw this the other day, and I knew it had to be addressed. Again, to wrap it up in classical fashion with the same meme quote I opened it with. Smart people say casual things sometimes. Casual people rarely say smart things. This is a smart person. Good person. Probably digitally shake his hand tomorrow morning and move on about our business, but... Uh, he deserved to be called out here because this is gross negligence. This is, um, it reeks of management. I'm, I'm shocked that management did not pin something like that. Maybe that's the angle. Maybe barstool management is the angle over there. And if it is, he's well on his way. It's not the worst strategy in the world. First thing you want to do is look down your nose at the common man. It's like a classic fast track sweater vest path to upper management. It works. It works. Next up, we go from jovial to very serious. We're going all over the place in the show tonight. Uh, the first of, I'll set the over-under at four and a half sips out of the chalice. That reminds me, I was reading the comments the other day. You know, when we're doing bold predictions, when we're doing team previews, when we're doing the what-if segment, a lot of times we talk about a team's over-under. So if we're talking about uh, Boise State and their over-under win total is eight and a half, I'll say their over-under win total is eight and a half. Someone came at me the other day, I'm not joking about this, and said, I'm not watching the show anymore. I said, why not? Seems kind of rash. Take a two-week hiatus. Don't just leave. And they said, you keep on speaking nonsense. It's impossible to win half a game. Just say eight or nine. Don't say eight and a half. Like, what do you do? If you're listening to podcasts, I just threw my hands up in the air. What do you do at that point? Can't please them all. So anyway, a couple of weeks ago, the AJC released a scathing investigative report on the University of Georgia. It included the following headline, Georgia program, Georgia football program rallies when players are accused of abusing women. I took a strong stance on the show the following night. Some of you were taken aback because you're used to this time of year just being a little more easygoing, a little looser in the format, and uh, it was not easygoing, nor was it a loose format that night. I took great exception 
as did a lot of folks from Georgia, to the way that that article was presented. Uh, I had some things thrown at me. I'll address that later. But I want to get right to the nuts and bolts of this. What happened was exactly what I expected to happen. I knew Georgia wasn't going to sit around and just take that. So Georgia, in case you haven't been paying attention, and there is a lot going on, Georgia issues a nine-page demand for a retraction. And I think some of you may have read that. I read it for you if you didn't have time to read it. I'm not going to summarize it. It is a lot of what you would expect. It was Georgia essentially calling out the AJC. Alan Judd's the investigative reporter over there. I don't know Alan. I've never met Alan. I've got nothing against Alan. I, I just happen to believe, I happen to believe the standard that that entity claims to hold itself to was not met in that report. That's the long and short of it. And so Georgia obviously felt the same way. So they issue a demand for a retraction, but that would have taken one page. It was nine pages because Georgia essentially did the investigation for the AJC. Now, you may listen to that and you may look at me very skeptically and say, oh, what Georgia investigated themselves? No, that's not what I'm telling you. What I'm telling you is there were more details. Or let me put it to you like this. The Georgia retraction demand letter was more thoroughly vetted and better presented and more detailed than the actual investigative report was. That's what blew me away because I got to my phone like two hours after it had been released. So a lot of people had already had their takes on it. You know, a lot of people had already spoken their mind on Twitter, like whatever. Well, I decided to go read it for myself. Bold, I know, but I decided to go read it for myself. And like three or four pages in, I already realized, having read the AJC report and now having read what I had in front of me, th this right here is what the AJC piece would have looked like or should have looked like. But here's the problem, if you want to call it one. Had the AJC's initial investigative report included all the details in the demand for retraction letter, there would have been no investigative report because it wouldn't have had legs to stand on. That was the entire premise. And you notice, if you guys watched or listened to that show a couple of weeks ago, you'll remember, I didn't go down a laundry list. I chose one specific story that was included in that report to hone in on, because I think if you're presenting an overarching argument, and if you're saying that there have been 11 players accused of this, 11 players accused of that, well, if you only give me specific details on two, and one of them's already off the team, the other one's on the team, I zero in on the one that's on the team, because you are claiming again that the football program, quote, rallies when players are accused of abusing women. If that's serious, I want to know about it. I'm not carrying water for anyone, as some of you said in the comments section. I want to know about it, because if that's true, that's about to lead this show. I don't care who it is. It's about to lead the show. So I dug into it. I did my own calls, and I, I read the story. So I tried to gather as much information as I could. Um, the problem was it evaporated. The more you dug into it, it evaporated. So if you're a Florida fan, if you're an FSU fan, if you're an Alabama fan, and you looked at this and you enjoyed it from the standpoint that Georgia's being drugged through the mud. The AJC's doing to Georgia what we haven't been able to do to them on the field, in other words, the past couple of years. Just pretend this was your university for a second. So re remove, remove the block G and, and put that U for Miami there or, or put a South Carolina Gamecock logo there. And I want you to imagine that one of your recruits uh, comes on your campus. He's 16. He goes out and drinks, does some things he shouldn't, uh, but then again, calibrating also some things that many, many, many other kids do on many, many, many other campuses every single day. 
and that includes official recruiting visits. So, so far, there's nothing that would warrant an investigative piece done on him. But then also imagine that you find out that there was a sexual encounter that started as consensual, and then there are allegations that it became something other than that. That is serious. On the surface, that's serious. But then imagine that the rest of the story suggests that Georgia sent a guy who's a fixer over to the police station, and the police essentially walk in in red and black sunglasses, and they lean towards the side of the accused, or accused, yeah, and, and, and they, they sort of work in his favor. And this is what you're led to believe because you read the report. And then imagine that's kind of where it's left. Okay, and, and the lasting impression you're supposed to get is this dude was accused of sexual assault. And then Georgia sent some guy over there who you've never heard of to fix it and clean it up. And as a result, now he's on the team. Okay, that was what the report said. I read it like everyone else did. Then imagine the full police report is released, including text exchanges, including a mountain of counter evidence to that initial allegation that just makes the allegation itself go up in smoke. And imagine how aggravated you'd be. Uh, that's how I read it. When we got all the information, that's how I read it. So anyway, here's what happened. What happened was people looked at that and they said, all right, well, that's one. Okay, so maybe you disproved one. Maybe it's not that big a deal. There's still 10 more. That's not the way this works. It's not the way any of this works. If you're claiming that there are 11 instances of football players on a team being accused of sexual assault but still being on the team, and you're claiming the football team rallies around those at the expense of the accuser, but you only give me specifics on two, and one of them's been kicked off the team the moment that those allegations were levied against him and is eventually going to go to court, and the other one's over here, and that's the only other one you've given me anything on, and I do cursory amounts of digging, and your story falls apart, what am I supposed to think about the rest? Because I'm certainly not about to think, oh, I'll blindly trust this entity on the other 10 they gave me no details on. So that was my take on it. And then, like I said, some people came at me that were just clearly aggravated that Georgia was not about to be drugged through the mud nearly as much as it appeared. And they said, well, you're just carrying water for Georgia. No, no. Here's the thing about it. Forget about the jersey for a second. I want you to understand something. There's always this balance. There's this fine line you have to walk where... If you've got really, really serious allegations, you can't be flipping about it. So sexual assault obviously fits that description. But then when you find out that maybe the allegation is unsubstantiated, that's one thing. But then if you've got a major media outlet, the biggest one in the state of Georgia, trafficking in that, and it kind of seems more and more like they weaponized what they knew your emotion would be towards the headline to further some cause. Or, or some crusade they're on, I don't care which team it is. Could be Arizona State, could be University of Montana. Uh, that's something that I'm going to address on this show because here's what else I know. Whether it is Arizona State or Montana or the University of Georgia, they can't say everything they want to. That's why that extraordinary measure Georgia went to is so eyebrow raising uh, because I want you to think about also the fact that we've got SEC Media Days literally next week, downtown Nashville. That is the least ideal timing imaginable to have something like this happen. So the folks at Georgia were so taken aback and they were so against a wall irate at how the AJC presented them. They said, don't even care if Media Days is next week. We're about to publicize this. 
We're about to put nine pages in their face, call for a retraction, and then we're going to take Kirby Smart and we're going to take our legal representation here and we're going to issue statements and he'll be asked about it all day, every room he goes into, including the one with us, next week. And they looked at all that and said, it's worth it. You honestly think that would happen? <laughs> if, if they were, as the AJC says, rallying around players accused of abusing women, because here's the other thing. The other thing is, they didn't run from the other allegations because they're not allegations. Like the street racing stuff over there is really serious. And Kirby Smart spoke about it. They didn't run away from that. They didn't deny it at all. In fact, they, they spoke about it. He spoke as straightforward as he has about it, saying, I'm doing the best I can. We're doing the best we can. We don't know exactly what the answer is. It, it's not for a lack of trying. I've talked to some folks over there and they bring every kind of speaker, every kind of insurance adjuster in there, every kind of scare you straight tactic, every kind of run someone till two inches from death tactic you can employ. They've done it. It's just not a switch. You flip. And you also, you also are outside and maybe have the benefit of saying, oh, just kick everyone off the team. It's not that simple. It's not that simple because it's always case by case. And it also lends me, leads me back to thinking about what I would do if I were a head coach. Like, how, how many folks do you know that get dismissed from a major college football program over speeding tickets? Not the kind of stuff that happened in January. That's not what I'm talking about. That's a different galaxy. But I'm talking about the spotlight that's on that university now because of what happened in January. And so if I'm a, if I'm a Georgia football player and I'm, I'm clocked doing 84 and a 65, I'm going to get popped in the state of Georgia, especially, I'm going to get popped. That's going to be front page news. Is the answer really to kick me off the team? Or is the answer to try and employ other tactics as best I can if I'm Kirby Smart and try and address the problem? The point is they didn't run from any of that. Um, there is a big gulf between that stuff and what the AJC chose to accuse them of. And frankly, if you're not guilty of it, come out swinging. That's exactly what they did. So I don't think you've seen nearly the end of that. And I think it'll be a, a central focus as off the field matters usually are at media days next week. And so everyone else will talk about it. So maybe we won't have to talk about it. In the fast paced world of attacking, speed is everything. And that's where the Furon 7 Plus shines. Engineered for accuracy and precision at a rapid pace. It's your secret weapon on the pitch. Experience overall comfort and precise striking, even in the game's fastest moments. The nylon outsole with its V-shaped stud configuration is designed for firm ground, giving you the grip you need to outmaneuver your opponents. Step up your attacking game and learn more and purchase the Furon at NewBalance.com. For the past 20 years, you've enjoyed the refreshing tropical lime flavor of Mountain Dew Baja Blast. So in celebration of this milestone, we're bringing Baja Blast in stores nationwide. And for a limited time with every purchase of Baja Blast, you can collect coins for a chance to get Baja gear or a Taco Bell deal. 2024 is the year of Baja Blast. In stores now. No purchase necessary. Open to U.S. residents 18 plus. Subject to official rules at BajaBlast.com and 615.24. Void where prohibited. I got a special helmet for you. Not, not the late kick helmet, not the Pate State helmet, and there's the Floyd of Supremacy just for good measure. No, not those. I got to talk to you about uh, something our buddies at Academy emailed me about today. Now, if you're at a football practice, you see guardian caps all the time. But if you're not, you may hear about this for the first time right now. Guardian caps, everyone practices in them now. Half the, half the teams out there play spring games in them. 
And you, if you're watching on YouTube right now, you see a picture of it. So those things are essentially something you put around the shell of a helmet, and it greatly reduces impact, but it also, it's lightweight, it's water resistant. There is a 15 to 20 degree reduction in static heat buildup. So it actually keeps you climate controlled, and it also reduces impact. And why I'm mentioning this is because they're only available at Academy for a limited time. That's an exclusive at Academy Sports and Outdoors. Now, those things, obviously, because of what time of year it is, are going to sell really fast. But don't worry, Academy.com will have them stocked. And so you can get anything and everything under the sun at Academy Sports and Outdoors. But I would encourage you guys, you know, some of you may be on the fence. So some, of, some of the parents who watch or listen to the show, you may be on the fence about uh, whether you want your kid enrolling in playing tackle football. And um, I think it, I don't think, frankly, I don't think football does a great job of demonstrating how much safer they have made the game. All you hear about are horror stories from people who played a generation ago. Well, a generation ago, they weren't wearing guardian hats in practice. A generation ago, they didn't have mechanisms around the helmet that could reduce 20 to 25% of an impact. And the point is, there's never any kind of tool that can make football 100% safe. But if I'm on the fence, and then all of a sudden I see that, or if I'm a coach of a football team and I see that at Academy Sports and Outdoors, I probably should have already been at Academy, but if I wasn't already, I will be now. So if you are not watching the YouTube channel right now and you want to know what those look like, just Google Guardian Caps. And then since you're already online, go to academy.com and buy a few. Next up, second sip from the chalice. We're getting ever closer to four and a half. And yes, for those wondering, Cole Kublik has already texted me in the show. It's okay. Got a, little, got a little more blackmail on him today than I did 24 hours ago. And it is a video. And it does involve a vibration plate. But that's all I'm going to say. My balls are in his court. Let's do some what ifs. I meant to say it that way for those of you who are new out there. What if? It's one of the most fun segments that we've been doing on the show lately. How about this one? What if Alabama beats Georgia in the SEC title game. That's what our buddy Zanderali wanted me to lead off with tonight. You know what this would do for the overall head-to-head between Saban and Smart? That would be one and five. That's what Kirby Smart's record would be against Nick Saban if this were to happen. And what's interesting is if this were to happen, out of those six games, only one of them would have been scheduled. The 2020 matchup between those two teams since Kirby's been at Georgia and Saban's been at Alabama, that's the only time they've played where it was actually on the schedule. Every other time has been in postseason play. Here'd be my question if you want to know what if. So what if Bama beats Georgia in the SEC title game? Well, I want to know, are they going to play again? Because I've seen that before. I've seen Bama take them down in Atlanta before only to have the trick turned on them a month later in Indianapolis. So that's the first thing I would want to know. Uh, the second thing that I would suggest is that's, that's, I think that's the SEC's premier rivalry right now. I've said this before. Some people like totally agree with it. Some people hardcore disagree with it. And the disagreeers would say that that's not even a natural rivalry. Like obviously the Iron Bowl's bigger than that or, or Georgia, Florida's bigger than that. Historically, yes. But if I were to go to St. Paul, Minnesota and ask them, which matchup they think about right now in the SEC, like for control of the conference supremacy or 
which one has the most storylines baked into it, which one's the most intense, which fan base is paying attention to the other fan base most and vice versa. It's Georgia and Alabama. No, they're not natural rivals. They're hardly ever scheduled to play, although that will soon change, and they are scheduled to play next year in Tuscaloosa. Doesn't matter. They, they are each other's recruiting equal on the field. They are each other's rough equal every year. And so that's what I would think. That's my answer to the what if that happened. Next up, I hope this is true. Oh, I hope this is true. Eric hit us up and said, what if Virginia Tech makes a year two leap under Brent Pry?" Eric, I wish you would have defined what leap means, but I'm going to define it for you. So there were three and eight last year. Let's say they're bowl eligible. So let's say you're predicting them to go six and six. Well, that would be the first time in three seasons they've been above 500. Yeah, they've had three losing seasons in a row up there. It's tough. Uh, They were three and eight last year. Remember, they didn't play the Virginia game. They had the shooting up there, so they didn't play the game. So that's why the 11 totals there. Speaking of totals, five and a half. That's the over-under win total. So I'm just, by half a game, I'm asking for the over to hit here. As schedules go, they've got a pretty workable one. Now, here's the problem. Them being on your schedule also indicates it's workable for you because Virginia Tech's in the bottom half of the conference. But if they're going to be above and beyond expectation level this year, they avoid Clemson. That's a good thing. They avoid UNC. They avoid Miami. Um... If they're winning a bunch of one-possession games and you know they have a little quantum leap of their own in terms of quality of team, it helps to play four of the bottom five teams in terms of preseason odds. That helps, yes, but it's still going to be still going to be quite an effort. Now they are recruiting inside the top forty, so there's that. Producer Jesse tells me they are recruiting inside the top forty. What about another program that uh, enjoyed wild success two years ago? crippling disappointment last year, and no one knows what to expect from them this year. That would be our Michigan State Spartans. And Smith hit us up and said, what if Michigan State has another losing season? Now this gets really dicey. This is thin ice, hot blades, or is it? So naturally, everyone looks at this and says, oh, well, if they go sub 500, Mel Tucker's out of there. Is he though? Is he really out of there? And what I'm asking you is, are you really about to pay that man $76 million not to coach football? It's fully guaranteed. If they fire him without cause and they can't say, we have cause, it is because he's losing. That's not cause. It's not how that works. And so if they fire him because he's five and seven this year, they're paying him 76 mil. Now, I talked to some administrative types about this sort of thing in the past week. Two things that are going to be standing in the way in the future that haven't stood in the way in the past when it comes to paying ridiculous buyouts. Buyouts are normally privately funded, or at least uh, the majority of them are. And that just means it's not coming from the university's checkbook. There are some rich donors who don't like the coach enough to where they're willing to come off their own hip pocket and they'll pay the buyout. And when that happens, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't fall on the taxpayer and it's one of those situations where you look at that person and say, hey, if that's, wh- that's how you want to spend your millions, go for it. And you may even cheer it on. Well, that's happened in the past. Here is the problem. That money's not going anywhere. So a lot of these universities still have the same donor class. They still have the same pool of resources that theoretically they could get their hands on if they needed. Problem is those resources are being redirected. 
and they're being redirected to NIL. So if I am running Pate State and Director Colin is a very philanthropic, multi, multi million. Colin, you want to be a billionaire? Yeah, Colin's a billionaire. Don't ask how, it's none of your business, but he's a billionaire. Several, several different businesses. And so I can go to Colin and I need to buy out a coach and, and he is my Phil Knight. He'll help me buy it out. Well, Colin, unbeknownst to me, only earmarks a certain portion of his wealth towards Pate State Athletics. Doesn't matter that he's worth more. He has decided, being the wise money manager that he has been, he's only going to spend this much and gear it towards Pate State Athletics. Well, Colin has heard about this thing called NIL. And Colin has decided, I'm taking this money and I want it to be put into acquiring athletes. I'm tired of paying coaches not to coach. I want to go get the proper athletes so they win so we don't have to fire them. So I have that in the back of my mind as an AD and a university president. I can no longer go to Colin. If I want to fire Mel Tucker and I got to pay him 76 mil, Colin's not just there for me to blindly write a check as he has been in the past. And here is the other problem, and it's more perceptional in nature. There's this fight going on behind the scenes in college athletics right now where a lot of people do not want to grant employment status to football players. And there are many reasons why they don't want to do that. Here is the problem. A lot of that battle is going to end up being fought in the court of public opinion. And I want you to just picture with me for a second what it does to public opinion when you tell football players, we can't afford to pay you. We can't afford, forget about whether we want to, we can't afford to do that. But we're going to pay this guy $76 million not to coach. You can have all sorts of rebuttals. You can come back at him and say, yeah, but that's private money. The, the money you would get paid would come from totally different places. They've already tuned you out. It, it is not about facts. It's about screenshots. It's about headlines. It's about snippets. And it's about perception. And the perception would be absolutely not. If you can afford to pay astronomical buyouts, you can afford to pay us employment-wise. That's how that would go. I'm telling you that's how that would go. And that's how a lot of the administrative types in college football know that would go. And so for that reason, I don't think Mel Tucker would be fired if he went sub 500 again. I think they would have to bite the bullet and they would probably, they would probably demand staff changes again. They just had some. They would probably demand a lot of reshuffling on the deck, but that ship's not going down. At least not this year, I don't think. Lastly, this one would be interesting too. Um, we have, a, we have a little situation in college football right now where we may be contracting into sort of a power to model, but a lot of us don't want to see that happen. So Grant asked, what if the ACC and the Pac-12 get left out of the college football playoff this year? Well, Grant, this would not be good for those of us who want to see, want to see the figurative wealth spread around the sport a little bit more, and that just means success in more corners of the country, which brings bigger paydays, which gets reinvested, which hopefully leads to, you understand how that works. This would not be good. This would be the antithesis of that. If the ACC is out, that would be the third straight miss for the conference. If the Pac-12 is out, that would be the seventh straight miss for the conference. And forget about what that does on the surface. And forget about how much that potentially allows the SEC and the Big Ten to load up multiple teams, depending on what the Big 12 did and Notre Dame and the G5. Aside from all that, what happened to Clemson in this scenario? What happened to FSU? USC, what happened? The rest of the Pac-12, I just assume you cannibalized yourself. Is that what happened? And there's a lot of 
a lot of what here. I want to know the why. Like, how did that happen? Wouldn't be a good time. For those of you who do not like the consolidation of playoff spots for a few conferences, it would not be a good late December and January for you there. So if you love the sport, I would root against that. Next up, so many different places to go. And irresponsibly, I have sort of drugged my feet a little bit so far throughout the show. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to pick up tempo a little bit here. Third sip from the chalice, notwithstanding. I'm going to pick up tempo. And I'm not sure why, because we could stay here all night if we want to. But uh, Jesse's got a bedtime. And even I respect that. The other night we did the whole SEC balance of power thing, and it was a wild hit. Shockingly, not everyone agreed, but it was a wild hit. So here's what I want to talk to you about tonight. The Big Ten balance of power. How does this shake out? Unlike some divisions in the SEC, it's not so cut and dry at the top. It used to be. used to be Ohio State, then how far behind is everyone else? Well, that has changed, friends. I know we'll have a lot of spirited debate about what I'm about to say in the comment section, uh, but I have Michigan as the number one program in the Big Ten right now. However, the way I would classify it is basically a 1A and a 1B. Now, you know, we define program as like a rolling three-year snapshot of multiple things, but if when you play each other every year, yeah, head-to-head matters a whole heck of a lot, especially when the margin has been double digits both times. And we get to see it again this year. And it'll be fun again this year. But in the meantime, what I want to tell you is I'm not normally a person who has knee-jerk reactions to the outcomes of one game, but the status of the program, Michigan, and the program, Ohio State, in the Big Ten right now is such that it's either or 52-48, 53-47. You could see wild fluctuation year to year if they were to just go back and forth the next five years, trading wins. I would probably go back and forth, who's 1A, who's 1B? Because that's kind of how close I think there are, there are, they are in terms of comparability of program right now. But what if I didn't show you recruiting? So right now, I think anyone who would argue Ohio State, they would argue longevity, and it doesn't matter that I specify, no, 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 I'm zooming in last three years. That's why I would say Michigan may be a little bit ahead of you as a program. I don't care what you did the previous 17 years, uh, because I'm not talking about your trophy case. I'm just talking about right here and now. That notwithstanding, if you still argued Ohio State, there's plenty of argument for it. I think a lot of it would come down to talent acquisition, overall construction of roster, and supremacy of overall talent on that roster. That means something. Ultimately, who has the bigger number on the scoreboard is what matters. But if you're arguing health of program, I get where you're going with that. Here's what I would say about that. I would say, ignore recruiting for just a second for me. And just watch the teams play the last two years. And then I want you to tell me, what do you see from each of them? And I'm talking about them playing each other. What do you see from each of them? Because recruiting does matter. And I factor it in on this. And overall talent roster and roster talent level, it does matter. All that matters to me. Process matters. Um, development matters. Mindset matters. Identity matters. Michigan's just checking all those boxes right now. Maybe it changes this year. If it does, I'll be happy to revisit this. Uh, but that's why I put Michigan 1A, Ohio State 1B, fractions of a difference right now. That's why when they take the field this fall, if they were to do it right now, I mean, Vegas has a number on that game, and it, it's pretty much even, maybe favored one way here or there, and that line will move throughout the season. The odds to win the Big Ten, it's basically just 
pick whoever wins the Ohio State-Michigan game. And that's why it must be so fun down in Tier 2, because there is no depth in Tier 2 of the Big Ten. It's just Penn State. That's it. And Penn State gets to listen to things like what I just said come out of everyone's mouth. Big Ten Media Days in two weeks. I'll be up there. A lot of us will be up there. And that's exactly what they'll talk about. And James Franklin and Penn State will roll in. They'll do their thing and they'll get out of there. Do you realize now that Pat Fitzgerald is out at Northwestern, James Franklin is the second most tenured head coach in the Big Ten behind Kirk Ferentz? He's been there a while. He's not new anymore. He's been there a while. We did our show up there a couple of months ago and had fun up there. May go up there again this fall before the season kicks off. We'll see if schedules can work out. But I told you then, and I'll tell you now, there's no doubt the direction. There's no doubt the vision. There's no doubt about the intensity when you step on campus. A lot of, a lot of programs are like that. I'm not saying Penn State has the market cornered on that. What I am saying is the, the attitude there is the exact attitude you would have if you weren't rebuilding. The attitude there is exactly what you would think you would have if you weren't miles away. The attitude there is the kind of attitude you get when you walk in a building and they know they're close and they know they're just tweaks here, tweaks there, one addition here, you know, one coaching philosophy adjustment over there. That's the difference. And then, of course, it's all culminating in having Drew Aller start at quarterback for you this year. Tier two, that's Penn State. Don't really need to say much more on that. But tier three, that's where the fun is in the Big Ten. Like if you want to get in debates, is Michigan State in tier three or are they in tier four? Because I do a rolling three-year snapshot and baked into that three-year snapshot is the best and worst of Michigan State. And I'm not so sure that averaging it out would give us the truest version of what that program is right now, even though logic would tell you to do it that way. I. I know I just paused there and it sounds like I lost my train of thought. I didn't. I'm just looking at the screen and looking at 11 and 2 to 5 and 7. And then there's a big question mark this year because I hadn't played it yet. So Mel Tucker's 18 and 14 overall at Michigan State right now. Luke Fickle, he's at Wisconsin, but he just walked in the door. Wisconsin's been a fairly solid program. Luke Fickle just walked in the door. I could say to you, boy, I think that injects a ton of life in that program. But if I'm sitting here telling you I also value the rolling three year snapshot, I'm looking at four and three, nine and four, seven and six, question mark. Tier three, is that tier three worthy? I think it is. Iowa has got to be there. Iowa, with any kind of offensive pulse, would be in tier two. Their last three years, six and two in the COVID year, 10 and four in 2021, eight and five last year. And for the record, we go back to 2015. Here are their win totals, 12, eight, eight, nine, 10, six, 10, eight, and the six was in a COVID year. It's really solid, which makes you wonder, man, if they could move the ball offensively at all. In fact, I, I think Iowa would be at the very top of tier three. Minnesota, I think they're the sneakiest team in the Big Ten uh, because 11 and two, three and four, nine and four, and nine and four. Those are their last four years. That three and four is the COVID year. Um, PJ Flex quietly done a really good job up there. Now, the argument, of course, could be well, that's just a byproduct of the West being really jumbled. What if Minnesota played in the East? What if Minnesota played the big three every year? Point taken. I just think that tier three is very interesting. Then you get down to tier four, Illinois and Purdue. Uh, new staff at Purdue. Going to be really fun to watch. Illinois under Brett Bielema made a lot of noise last year. If we get that noise again this year, we're changing their tier. Maryland, Mike Loxley, best team maybe he's had there coming up this year. There is... 
There is a team there in College Park, Maryland. They're going to benefit a whole heck of a lot when they do away with divisions here. Because no one talks about Maryland because you know who they have to play every year. And if I parked Maryland in the West, they'd probably just be thrown in that drum with everyone else and everyone's got a shot because it's all a bunch of mediocrity. Indiana, Northwestern, that Northwestern situation. I've been watching that. Elevating interim. And they went 1-11 last year. What are they going to be this year? And that's tough. Rutgers also is in the Big Ten. It's about as much as I can say right now. We did a little opinion gauging today. That's a change of segment, Colin. Sorry about that. It was a little, a little hasty. Fourth step. We did a little opinion gauging today. I asked you. Here's what I would love to ask you. I would love to ask you, can you see how much this mic keeps shaking? Because I really think the building shifted today. Because if I just let go of the table, you see me rolling backwards? So I keep having to roll forwards, and it shakes the mic. Looks like it looks like the Northridge quake out here. As Pac-12 paid, I'm familiar with my West Coast California earthquake history. So don't, don't, don't be freaked out. No seismic activity here today. It's just uneven flooring in this place, I think. So I asked you guys today, what is your opinion of Brent Venables, head coach at Oklahoma? We got more responses on this, I kid you not, than any other head coach I've asked you about. And I was a little surprised. Maybe it's because they were at Big 12 Media Days today. Maybe it's because you guys had a whole lot to say about Brent Venables. I think back to last year, I think back to him taking that job, and it was the stunner of all stunners that Lincoln Riley left there. So Brent Venables comes in. I do not think the average person has appreciation for what a new head coach faces today in college football. It's always been hard to be a new head coach. I think it's never been more difficult to be a new head coach. You've always had to deal with learning how to manage people. You've always had to deal with implementing not only your preferred schemes, but your philosophy. You're taking your thumb and you're just pressing it against an organization of hundreds of people. And hopefully when you pull that thumb away, whichever print you just put on that program leads to success. That's nerve-wracking, especially if you've never led an organization before. You've always had that stuff. You've always had, can you adjust personally? How does your family deal with being in the spotlight? And I know some people dismiss that stuff. That's real. That's real stuff. But everyone's always dealt with that. Imagine being a new head coach at a major program that's not used to losing at all. There is no rebuild year at Oklahoma. Uh, At least in most of our lifetimes, there hasn't been. And you're being thrown right into the middle of an era where NIL is now a thing. The transfer portal is now a thing. Oh, and by the way, you had extremely unique roster circumstances with the way Riley left in conjunction with those things being in place. And it was like being dropped in the middle of a hurricane. And I I don't think odds makers did him any favors last year when Oklahoma odds wise was right up there near the top of the board. And as it turns out, that was just, it was always foolish. They whiffed on that one. A lot of us did. I'm not blaming Vegas. I mean, it's not like I picked Oklahoma to go six and seven last year. But was last year really as it appears? That's what a lot of you were asking. That was a lot of the opinion that you were giving me. Because a lot of you, a lot of you were talking about how, man, I, I believed in him, but oh, last year really shook my confidence. Well, Brent Venables was at Big 12 Media Days today, and he was talking about how dire the situation was from a roster standpoint last year. 
And also, a lot of us have talked about that. We've looked at that on this show. I just don't think it was appreciated at the time. But let's go down that road a little bit. So in retrospect, you look at it, and he had to pretty much tear it down to the studs and start to rebuild, which is rare at a program like Oklahoma. Unless there are NCAA sanctions involved, that's, that's pretty rare. That's outside the norm. Is that really what happened? If that's really what happened, theoretically, or figuratively, if they really did tear it down and start from as close to scratch as you could start at Oklahoma, everything else is explainable. If, if that's really what they did. Because if that's what you did, there is no, there's no basement to how bad it can be. Like some people watched Oklahoma last year and said, well, you know, first year struggle is one thing, but you can't lose 49 to nothing at Oklahoma. Yeah, you can. Well, you can't go six and seven. Yeah, you can. Of course you can. Who said you couldn't? Just because you haven't seen it in a long time happen there. It's always been possible. That's why we have such immense respect for the places where it doesn't happen. Because you don't have to let your foot off the gas very long in a NASCAR race before you're off the pace totally and the entire pack has passed you by. It's hard to keep winning. It's really hard to do it. So if that's really what happened last year, Everything's explainable. The, the horrific defensive numbers, if they really did tear it down and build it back from scratch, that's all explainable. As long as that's what's happened. And as, as internally, a lot of that you can't know. You can know what you watch on the field on Saturday. You can read practice reports. But a lot of what's happening internally, culture-wise, if they really are tearing it down to build it back up, then, then that's a bitter pill to swallow in year one. But it's explainable. I'm most fascinated with people who have given up on him. Now, I always wish that I could just get a focus group of 100 of you, and myself included, and we could all wager really substantial money, like money that we can't afford to lose, on our opinion of any given topic. So in this case, if you're, if you're giving up on Brent Venables, you're saying he's not going to win at Oklahoma. You've seen everything you think you need to see after one football season, and it happens to be the guy's first year ever as a head coach. That fascinates me. Maybe you end up being right. That fascinates me. I would never tell you. I think I've seen enough of that guy after year one. I'm also not telling you slam dunk, watch and see. You'll eat those words. He will take OU to the mountaintop. I'm not talking like that. I'm very reserved about it. Still very much on the fence. I do notice two things. The first thing I notice is they are having no problem whatsoever acquiring talent. You may say, Oklahoma's always recruited well. Not quite this well. Not quite this well. Uh, they are way up there. And in the portal, they've been a top 10 portal team. They've been a top 10 recruiting team, both cycles since he's been there. I know you got to do stuff with it once it gets on campus, but that's one great big sigh of relief for me personally because I didn't know what kind of recruiter he was going to be. I didn't know what kind of recruiter that staff was going to be. So. That's the first thing I've noticed. The second thing I've noticed is he hadn't lost any of his own fan base. It's normally the other way around. The folks closest to the situation normally sniff out a loser long before the general public does. At Oklahoma, the folks closest to the situation are fully bought in on Brenton Venables, and they make no bones about the fact that last year wasn't good enough. The difference is They've got a pretty good sense that, in retrospect, it was probably necessary to get where we think he's taking us, whereas people outside of that crimson and cream circle, they're looking at it and saying, never going to happen. Dude's a fraud. Dude's a defensive coordinator at best. 
I'm going to lean towards Oklahoma, folks. I'm going to lean towards them. Because I've watched fan bases punt after one year on a coach and after two years on a coach. And sometimes they're right and sometimes they're wrong. But at least their opinions are a little more guided uh, because they follow the program day to day. The folks who follow this program day to day just watch their coach lose in horrific fashion in some cases. They got shut out like half a hundred to nothing against Texas. And OU fans are still all in on that guy? I don't make nothing out of that. I make something out of that. And that's the general attitude I got. I would probably say, if I were to take a straw poll of the thousands of comments we got on this today, I would say more than 50% of you who were agnostic to the program don't believe in Brent Venables. So there is a sizable portion of what we call the college football public public, that doesn't think he's going to win there. I am not down that road yet. I'm kind of standing at the intersection. I am Tom Hanks at the very end of Castaway. There's that, that intersection out in the middle of nowhere, and he just parks the Jeep. He gets out, and he's got that big old plastic bottle of water, and he's just standing there. And that girl pulls up and says, you can go that way, Canada. That way, Mexico. California. Virginia. Which way do you want to go? I'm just going to stand here for a second. So here I am at the intersection of Brent Venables, year one to year two. He could either be playing uh, in the playoff in 2024, or they could be running a coaching search in 2020. I don't know. I have no clue. He's a heck of a defensive coordinator, though. Heck of a defensive mind. Hopefully. Hopefully that expertise is surrounded by the right people there. Hopefully he got the right people in there. Uh, They got Jackson Arnold, one of the best quarterbacks in the country, that is waiting in the wings, or who is waiting in the wings, and that's with Dylan Gabriel starting for him this year. So I, I am not sold. I have not sold, and also am not sold. That is called riding the fence, and the key to that is to keep the post in your mouth. All right, Houston, Texas tuned in. Jacksonville Beach, Florida tuned in. Olympia, Washington is tuned in. Jesse probably thinks the capital is Seattle, but it's not. Let us move to bold predictions. Fifth, a record fifth sip from the chalice. It always occurs to me, and and trust me, I'm going to address this. Actually, the next segment, I'm going to address some of the criticisms towards this show. One of them is, there's some inside jokes on this show that we don't explain. And you're right about that, candidly. We, We probably need to do one of those inside nomenclature refreshers because it's been a while don't worry that's coming up in like eight minutes bold prediction time what are you thinking about this year what are you predicting this year do you guys actually believe some of this stuff because i'm telling you we've got our first 10 on the bold prediction one to 10 scale tonight and i got two more of them rated nine or higher i'm not calling you a liar but i am at the very least questioning whether you guys believe this okay first bold prediction florida beats utah again this is, this is acceptable. All right, they're going to play in Salt Lake City. It is a Thursday night game in week one. Florida is a nine and a half point underdog right now. Last year, this was a classic down in Gainesville. It looked like Utah had it, and then they didn't because that's how college football works. And Utah loses 29 to 26. Cam Rising, who on one hand produces this show, but in a much more real sense, is the starting quarterback for Utah. You guys want to know what producer Jesse looks like. You want to know if he's real or not. You don't need to have a picture of him. Just look at Cam Rising's picture. Indistinguishable. Identical twins, Cam Rising and producer Jesse. Um, so Cam Rising, health-wise, is he going to be good to go in week one? 
Because that'll go a long way in deciding this one. And then Graham Mertz. We don't think there's any injury concern with him. I just have no clue what caliber quarterback he's going to be. What should I expect? I expect Florida to have a really, really good ground game, and they need it. Because if they're going to duplicate last year's result, if they're pulling the upset here, it sure would help to have 283 on the ground. A lot of that was Anthony Richardson last year. You get me the yards however you get them. You're popping off about six or seven yards per carry against Utah on the road. You've quieted a crowd and you've given yourself a shot to win it in the fourth quarter. However, because of the nine and a half point spread on this game, Florida beating Utah is an eight. Yeah, just an eight. I'm not going to go eight and a quarter. It's an eight on the boldness scale. I don't think it's the craziest thing in the world. And one of our Florida viewers sent me a very long email the other day, early July. It's why I love you guys, where he spelled out all the reasons Florida's going to win this game. And it was intriguing. It was intriguing. I would be lying if I said I didn't raise my eyebrow a time or two. All right, next up, this is where we really get in the weeds. We, eh, why not? I'm going to paper pop for this one. Rob from Celebration, Florida, something they should probably need. I hope they can do more of that down there in Florida this year. But Rob from Celebration, Florida says Notre Dame will make the playoff and win a semifinal game. Okay. So they're going to the national title game. That's what he's telling me. Rob, this is a 9.5. That's harsh, right? Well, here's my take on this. The odds to make the college football playoff, Notre Dame is 14th in those odds. Not astronomical. Over under win total, 8.5. 14th best odds to make the playoff. So, you know, plus 750 if you're interested in the money line. That's where we are. That's to win the title, not to make the playoff. So they're 14th in line to win the title. Okay, but we've seen teams come from deeper than that. I mean, TCU was nowhere on the radar last year. (sighs) It's that time of year. I have started to be told that Notre Dame plays a weak schedule. So producer Jesse got fed up today, and he walks in, and he says, Hey, I said, excuse me? He said, Sir, what if I told you that there is one team out there in all of FBS that plays at least three opponents with a preseason win total of 10 or higher. I said, I would be intrigued. Whomst is it? He said, it's Notre Dame. They play seven teams with a win total of six and a half or higher. They play three with a win total of 10 or higher. They go to NC State this year. They go to Louisville. They go to Duke. They go to Clemson. They got Ohio State and USC at home. It is not an easy schedule. It never is a soft schedule. Here's what you guys are looking for. What you're looking for is Notre Dame doesn't play the literal toughest schedule in the country. They play a pretty difficult to moderately difficult schedule. That would be fine. There's this one to 10 knob, and and some of you need to learn to turn it to six. It it doesn't always have to be zero or 10. Sometimes Notre Dame plays a pretty tough schedule. Instead, if it's not the hardest one in the country, cream puffs. It'd be better. Let's just all be better. I'm going to make this one a 9.5. Making it versus winning it, two different things. Now, Rob just predicted they're going to make the title game, but I still make that a 9.5. Notre Dame in the national championship game. Say it out loud, wherever you are, including Irish fans. How bold do you think that is? I think it's a 9.5. My days working and taking care of my little ones can be a lot. I checked out care.com and it was so easy for me to find local, experienced, and background check sitters. Finding our babysitter was way more affordable than I thought. 
Care.com makes it super easy. Search for qualified candidates. You can view their profiles, read reviews and ratings, check their availability, send messages directly, get the help that you need. Care.com should be every person's go-to. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle, from the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback. There's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. Next up, this one is from Andre in Grove City, Ohio. He said the Big 12 championship game will not be a rematch from the regular season. Well, that requires some Pate State mathematics. So this used to be nearly impossible. They just expanded the conference like five minutes ago. So it used to be you played nine conference games in a league with 10 or whatever it was. So you only missed one team every year. I think it was for a little while. Well, now they play nine conference games and they've got 14 teams out there. So there are 13 of them you could possibly play. So you miss four of them every year. So we do have some windows here. Now, who's the most likely to make the conference championship game? We can only go off odds. And Oklahoma, it should be noted, they don't play Kansas State in the regular season. So that's one. OU Kansas State would work here. They don't play Texas Tech. They don't play Baylor. Oklahoma State, they miss Texas, Texas Tech, TCU, and Baylor. And Texas, well, Texas plays like all the top teams. So you're probably, if you want this to happen, if you want for there to be a unique matchup that's not a rematch in the conference title game, chances are someone's going to have to come out of the state of Oklahoma. I am going to make this a nine on the boldness scale only because Oklahoma, Oklahoma and Kansas State are number two and number three in the preseason odds. Oklahoma and Texas Tech are number two and number four in the preseason odds. Oklahoma and Baylor are two and six in the preseason odds. These are feasible. It's just really hard to pick a specific matchup. It's hard to nail that, especially when we have so many, so many potential rematches happening. Lastly, this is what we call a classic direct column producer Jesse special in the business. Russell said, Tennessee versus Penn State for the national championship. It's that time, friends. We have not had one all year, but Russell, you found a way. This is a 10 on the boldness scale. Penn State versus Tennessee in the national championship game is a 10 on the boldness scale. Neither one of them have ever made the playoff. Neither one of them are inside the top nine in the preseason odds. And so not only are we asking to overcome those hurdles, we're asking for things to shake out where they play each other for the title so they don't face each other in the semifinal. They've both got to make it. They've both got to win semifinal games in a playoff neither has ever even been to. There is no skill in predicting this, obviously. 
Also, if you pick some of the big boys, if you pick Georgia versus Ohio State for the national title game, I'd still make it like a, a 7.75 on the boldness scale just because it's that, it's that statistically unlikely you're going to pick the exact matchup. But when it's Tennessee, all due respect, versus Penn State, all due respect, nah, that's a 10. That's our first 10. I don't know if congratulations are in order, but Russell, paper pop and everything in between, that's a 10. Now, that doesn't mean it's not going to happen. It just means if it does, I probably send you a chalice of supremacy or probably something from the state store. Because if I say that your prediction is a 10 and your prediction pans out, that makes me pretty much a liar. Or as close to it as we'll ever get to accusing ourselves of being a liar on this show. Now, I would not accuse myself of that. But boy, some of you would. Do me a favor before I enter into a JP bash fest here for a couple of minutes. If you're watching live, we have 420 likes on this thing, and we have like five times that many people watching live. Just click the thumbs up button. Producer Jesse tells me that's harder to do if you're watching on TV. Just find a way. Life finds a way. Why can't you find a way to like the video? It helps us greatly. Helps us. Um, so <sighs> they say that you should never meet your heroes in person. They say that you should never wear white after Labor Day. <laughs> Certainly a rule that doesn't fly on this show. They also say you should never Google your name. And that's usually for good reason. Well, here's the problem. Producer Jesse did it anyway. And Producer Jesse, or Producer Jesse alerted me the other day. To, Colin, I actually don't like that at all. Here's your end point. Producer Jesse alerted me the other day that there was a very, very lengthy thread over on the Reddit College Football page where... People were comparing us versus Joel Klatt. I love Klatt's show. So my recommendation to you, if you're trying to choose either or, is listen to both because it's an on-demand world now. And so you get to listen at your convenience. I, I really actually don't get that part of the debate. However, we went through this thing, which I normally don't do, and I got some pretty good feedback from you guys. Now, some of you were mean and some of you went to personal attacks, but that's okay. It is the internet after all. However, some of you had some constructive feedback, and I wanted you to know I read it, and I wanted you to know when you said things like you think the show's been too repetitive with specific themes over the past couple of months, I agree with you. Unbeknownst to you, that was already written in my own grades for myself and was something that we were already aiming to address. Because when I go back and I look, yeah, we have been too repetitive on some things. Also, you guys said, uh, some of you, not all of you, some of you said, too many teams were mentioned over and over and over again. Now, obviously, there is a reason for that, somewhat. If I talk about Ohio State, it does us a whole lot more favor than talking about fill in the blank. I don't want to throw anyone under the bus. I used to use Akron all the time, but the people at Akron got mad because they said, why do you keep picking on us? There are like 500 other programs out there. So I'm not going to do it. Um, but yeah, business-wise, it makes more sense. However, Look, if you're, if you're running a high-level operation, which we fancy this show as being one, we should be able to talk about anything and keep someone's attention. And also, I should be able to present Virginia football for a minute and a half to you in a way that doesn't make you go to sleep. It's tough, but it's a challenge I'm willing to take on. So those two bits of feedback, too repetitive at times, and talking about the same few teams over and over again, although the second allegation is not entirely true, there is some truth to it. So I listened, and so we're going to address that. I did want to address some of the other allegations and some of the other complaints. 
Some of you said the show is not enough X's and O's. It never will be. That's not my forte. It's not my strong suit. If you want me to, I'll be happy to direct you to some folks who do that. I had Kublik on the other day. He texts me every show, and I talk to him frequently because, candidly, I think he's one of the best out there at that. He's got a mixture of personality and X's and O's knowledge. Cube show, by the way, if you want to go check out the YouTube channel. Um, in a perfect world, you have a group of pods or shows that you're probably watching. And ours is a lot more conversational. Ours is a lot more water cooler. Now, I'll dive deep occasionally on stuff. We'll, we're well-sourced. Um, we get a lot of really good intel and information on the show. Uh, but it's never going to be X's and O's. There's no grease board in here. I didn't play or coach the game at a high level. How stupid would I be to try and X's and O's you to death? Uh, it would be the death of me if I tried to do that. So no, that's not the kind of show that you're watching here. You said, um, some of you said, a lot of opinion, but not a whole lot of analysis. Now I can tell that's just folks who haven't watched the show during the season. There's plenty of analysis during the season. There are no games happening right now. I'm not sure what you think is going to get analyzed in July. Paid is never negative. I can also tell that those are folks who haven't watched during the season. I do have a general philosophy. There is not a lot of negativity on the show, but especially in the spring and summer. Why would you be negative in spring and summer? Nothing's happened. No games have happened. And so, yeah, guilty as charged, I guess, depending on the time of the year. SEC Homer, we've addressed this a million times. You would probably structure your show no different than I structure mine if you did a national show once you got the data that we get. That's all I'll say on that. I, I said the word earlier. I got an itch on my nose. Oh, not that. That's not the word I said. I said this word earlier, condescending. There were some accusations of being condescending, and I'll address those in a second. Um, someone, I did get a laugh out of this. Someone said, I choose Pate, and it's not close. And then one of our viewers came in in the comment section and said, you know he doesn't like that, right? Beautiful. Laughed until I cried when I read that. Okay, so for the folks who use condescending, or for those of you who just complained about some of the other ins and outs and inside nomenclature of the show, here's the, here's the balance I try and strike. So this show's blown up really, really big. We got bonkers numbers, and there's a really, really communal feel to it. And I know that. Uh, we build it that way intentionally. As you start to build a product, as you start to build a show that's got a really, really community-based feel to it, the risk you run is the further you get into that and the bigger that the community becomes, you never take time to introduce new people to the community. Because it's so big at that point, you don't have time to do that every show. And so the bigger the community gets, the more layered it becomes. And the more inside references there are, and the more unique layering there is, and, and the more unique culture there is even within that show. And it looks weird. It looks strange to an outsider because they haven't been baked into it yet. So I think this is a valid criticism, too, that we'll try and do a better job of. Um, I can't literally explain everything to you every show. I do think that there are some people who may be turned off by certain aspects of what we do or confused by certain aspects of what we do if you watch one or two shows that would be hardcore into what we do if you watched one or two dozen shows or listened to one or two dozen shows. I will also say this, it's a way different show in the season than it is out of the season. And that, that's probably the case everywhere. But I read it. I, I read the Reddit thread. I did not comment, not even with a burner yet. 
that may change. But um, appreciate the feedback. It did help. I did, I did take it under advisement, and I will continue to do so. Con- can you believe that, Jesse? Condescending? Not I. Not I. It's just fun. It's just fun. It's a joke. That's what it is most of the time. So when I talk that way, if you've watched 400 of our shows, you get it. If you've watched 40 minutes of one show, maybe you don't get it, but I am very humbled and privileged to be able to do this. No one gets how big a privilege this is more than me. If you know my story, you know why I feel that way. The last thing that I'm about to do is be intentionally condescending. I may have a strong opinion every now and then, or if I seem like I actually am speaking with condescension dripping out of the mouth, it's because I'm joking with you. That's what that is, one way or the other. Lastly on the show tonight, Big 12 Media Day is wrapping up, and I was checking out some of the coverage, and Uncle Dennis is out there, Dennis Dodd, who will also welcome him to Nashville next week for SEC Media Days. I think that right there, the Big 12, may be the most fun group of coaches to cover out of any conference in America right now. I was thinking about this earlier. I bounced it off some people. So Venables is out there. We just talked about him a lot earlier in the show. And you got that whole orbit of conversation around Brent Venables. Sark is out there. And any head coach at Texas always generates a lot of conversation. But think about like Joey McGuire from Texas Tech. People find out he's already officiated two weddings. He's got a third coming up next spring. The dude is like a very, very hyper high school football coach, because that's what he was. And all of a sudden, he's running a major college football program, but with that same high school kind of energy, and everyone loves him. And they're recruiting well out there, and they got a really good culture. They got the fourth best odds to win the conference this year. Dave Aranda, on the other side of the state, is as stoic as they come, as brutally honest as they come. Aranda. Let me tell you something. I'll talk about Aranda right now. Dave Aranda is one of my favorite coaches I've ever been around, and I've only been around him once. But that was a, a, an interaction that left a, left a lasting impression on me. And Dave Aranda, it, he, he is very measured. He's the opposite of what I've been for the past 30 seconds. He talks very slow. He's very measured. But he is not scared to critique himself publicly. And he did it again at Big 12 Media Days. And he said, there are three things that I really wish I could do different about last year. He said, I did not embrace the transfer portal, and I should have. And now we got an uphill battle on our hands as a result of that. He said, I tried to save some people instead of having boundaries. And really that bled into the third thing he talked about where it was, I cared too much about saving maybe some individuals and I didn't value what was best for the team. That's tough. It's one of a million different difficult things that are coming along with being a head coach or running an organization. Hey, pretty much every head coach deals with that. He'll talk about it publicly. I've always appreciated that about him. Now, as for Texas, Texas is favored to win the Big 12 this year. For all I know, Texas is going to go to the playoff. But I'm telling you right now, when I heard Quinn Ewers say, quote, We got kind of addicted to doing abs, hitting biceps and triceps, you know, all that stuff. It was just fun. Uh, Red flag, red flag, popcorn muscle workouts, red flag. Now, fortunately, I know the strength and conditioning setup out there at Texas. And so I know they're working more than buys and tries and abs. 
It is not, it is not a beach body workout in Austin, Texas. But it's, it's a big one. Actually, it's not because they're not working glutes, as it turns out. Buys and tries and abs get you knocked off the ball. That's what happens. I know a lot of you out there, not at Texas, I know a lot of you out there playing high school football right now, and you got camp coming up, and you know what awaits you very, very soon, and a lot of you are going to fall into the trap of thinking you need to look good when you go to camp. And so you go, you're hitting buys, you're hitting tries, and you're hitting abs, and all you're going to hit is the dirt. That's what you're going to hit. Because like Indomitian Sue, for example, is one of the most dominant football players I've ever seen. Could not count a single abdominal muscle on him. I don't know how much he could curl. I don't know how much he could try press. I just know that it was like an automobile wearing a Nebraska jersey lined up over a center or over an offensive guard. Pure violence. Not many popcorn muscle workouts for Indomitian Sue. Now, granted, this is a quarterback room we're talking about. Uh, but still, no, just say no to popcorn muscle workouts, kids. Plus, if you're doing the other muscle groups the right way, your biceps get developed anyway. This is one of the big myths out there. You got to constantly work biceps to develop biceps. No, no, no. That has nothing to do with the Big 12, though. You know what does? Brett Yormark, conference commissioner. I don't want to mention any names, but sometimes I've been listening to some of these conference commissioners over the past few years, and it seems like they're a step behind. Brett Yormark's different. Brett Yormark sounds like he's a step ahead of the game. Doesn't sound like very many things have taken him by surprise. Conversely, it does sound like some of his decisions have taken his peers and the general college football public by surprise lately. That's a good thing. That doesn't mean the Big 12 is about to pull alongside the SEC and the Big 10 at the next stoplight. But it does mean that at least they're in a position where they're not constantly on the defensive. No one's talking about people raiding the Big 12 right now. No one's talking about the shaky Big 12 media rights deal because no one is raiding them. And they do have a secure media rights deal. You can't say the same for every other conference, can you? So at the very least, you know Texas and OU are on their way out. Uh, No one out there seems to be particularly terrified at that perspective. And also... You got some pretty good coaches walking in the door, too. I'm very excited to see what Gus Malzahn does in time or immediately, whatever. Uh, Gus Malzahn, man, that's its own story. That is its own 30 for 30. I always tell the story. I guess I can wrap it up tonight with it. One day, down the road, if you are currently 18 years old, let's just go to 36. So let's double your lifespan. And by 36, let's say you're married and you've got a couple of kids and a third on the way, and the oldest is a boy, and you're explaining to him about this guy, Gus Malzahn, that maybe he's still there, maybe he's not, but this guy, Gus Malzahn, is at Auburn, which at the time was the most pressure cooker job imaginable, and maybe it still is. And uh, Malzahn goes to LSU, and they lose, and everyone's calling for his job, and then in the same year, he goes and beats Georgia when they're number one, then he beats Alabama when they're number one, then his agent, his name was Jimmy Sexton, pay attention, this is where it gets really good. They push Auburn up against a wall the week of the SEC championship game, no less, and they say, we want a new deal. And Auburn gives them a new deal. Massive buyout. A couple of years later, same university, fires him. Gus Malzahn, both pockets full, decides he wants to get back into coaching, and he goes to UCF. So Gus Malzahn is being paid tens of millions of dollars by Auburn not to coach. He moves to Florida. 
And about five minutes later, someone knocks on the door. Hey, you having fun, Gus? Yeah, man, I love it down here. Palm trees all over the place. We didn't have those in Lee County, Alabama. Uh, what if I told you this program's going to the Power Five a couple of years from now? Oh, really? So let's rewind. He was the head coach at Auburn. Then they paid him a ton of money not to be there. Then he went to a really good fit down in Central Florida. Then they rose in the ranks to Power Five status. And uh, Gus Malzahn ended up being like Warren Buffett of college football coaches and also got right back in the mix because he's going to be right back in the mix. I always wondered what Central Florida would do if put on the premier stage, the Power Five stage, whatever you want to call that in the future. I wonder the same thing about Houston. Now, Houston won't do it immediately, but I'm, I'm talking about over the next 10 years. Houston's been ready to do this. Central Florida's been ready. Cincinnati has been ready. They've been ready. And so now they're going to get to compete against the big boys. More, more specifically, they're going to get to play a schedule to where if they have one or zero losses, no one will be able to question their strength of schedule anymore. They'll be in that playoff picture. So I'm looking forward to it. We had a loaded show tonight. I appreciate you guys watching. Again, on your way out, make sure you click the thumbs up button, subscribe to the channel. We will be back here, same time Sunday night. And then we got a full week, three shows next week, by the way. I don't know if I told you that. Sunday night, Tuesday night, Thursday night. Uh, because SEC Media Days is in town, so we got a lot to talk about. We'll have multiple coaches on the show. Should be a fun and unpredictable time for all. So, for Producer Jesse, for Director Colin, for Bradley the Associate, I'm Josh Pate. Take care. Have a great start to your weekend. And God bless. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.